Good day and thank you for standing by. Welcome to the Box Incorporated fourth quarter fiscal year 2022 earnings conference call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone keypad. Please be advised that today's conference is being recorded. And if you require any further assistance, please press star 0. Thank you. I would now like to hand the conference over to your first speaker today, Ms. Cynthia Hiponia. Ma'am, please go ahead. Good afternoon and welcome to BOX's fourth quarter and full year fiscal 2022 earnings conference call. I'm Cynthia Hiponia, Vice President, Investor Relations. On the call today, we have Aaron Levy, BOX co-founder and CEO, and Dylan Smith, BOX co-founder and CFO. Following our prepared remarks, we will take your questions. Today's call is being webcast and will be available for replay on our investor relations website at box.com forward slash investors. Our webcast will be audio only. However, supplemental slides are now available for download from our website. We'll also post the highlights of today's calls on Twitter at the handle at boxincir. On this call, we will be making forward-looking statements, including our Q1 and full-year fiscal 2023 financial guidance and our expectations regarding our financial performance for fiscal 2023 and future periods, including our free cash flow, gross margins, operating margins, operating leverage, future profitability, net retention rates, unrecognized revenue, remaining performance obligations, revenue and billings, and our expectations regarding the size of our market opportunity, our planned investments and growth strategies, our ability to achieve our long-term revenue and other operating model targets, the timing and market adoption of, and benefits from our new products, pricing models, and partnerships, the impact of our acquisitions on future box product offerings, the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on our business and operating results, and our capital allocation strategies, including M&A and potential repurchases of our common stock. These statements reflect our best judgment based on factors currently known to us, and actual events or results may differ materially. Please refer to our earnings press release filed today and the risk factors and documents we file with the Securities and Exchange Commission, including our most recent quarterly report on Form 10-Q, for information on risks and uncertainties that may cause actual results to differ materially from statements made on this earnings call. These forward-looking statements are being made as of today, March 2nd, 2022, and we disclaim any obligation to update or revise them should they change or cease to be up-to-date. In addition, during today's call, we will discuss non-GAAP financial measures. These non-GAAP financial measures should be considered in addition to, not as a substitute for or in isolation from, our GAAP results. You can find additional disclosures regarding these non-GAAP measures, including reconciliations with comparable GAAP results, in our earnings press release and in the related PowerPoint presentation, which can be found on our Investor Relations page of our website. Unless otherwise indicated, all references to financial measures are on a non-GAAP basis. With that, let me hand it over to Aaron. Thanks, Cynthia, and thank you all for joining the call today. We had a phenomenal year at Fox. We delivered 13% annual revenue growth, well above our original guidance of 9 to 10%. We drove significant margin expansion to deliver a 20% non-GAAP operating margin, up more than 400 basis points, from 15% a year ago, and we exceeded our commitment to achieve a revenue growth rate plus free cash flow margin of 30%, ultimately delivering 33% in 
versus 26% a year ago. In FY22, we continued to bring advancements in our category-defining content cloud platform to the market with the worldwide launch of VoxSign, our native e-signature product offering. We made significant product enhancements in security and compliance, collaboration and workflow, and strengthened our ecosystem of partner integrations. We built the leading content cloud with well over 100,000 customers on our platform. And we have an exciting roadmap to continue our industry leadership going forward. Turning to Q4, we delivered strong results, marking yet another quarter of delivering both revenue and non-GAAP EPS above our guidance. We grew fourth quarter revenue 17% year over year, a fourth consecutive quarter of accelerating revenue growth, and delivered operating margin of 21% and RPO of 19%, which is greater than revenue growth and is an important leading indicator of the strength of our business. Additionally, we saw strong results in the makeup of our customer wins and expansion in Q4. Our net retention rate was 111%, up from 102% in the prior year and up from 109% in the third quarter, driven by the continued stickiness of our platform and customer expansion rates. We had 128 deals over $100,000 and nine deals over $1 million, up from 121 and four respectively. And for the full fiscal year, our $100,000 plus deals grew 25% year over year. Finally, we had a record number of our multi-product suite sales which now includes our Enterprise Plus plan, with 83 suite deals in Q4 over $100,000, up 51% year over year. And for the full fiscal year, our suite deals over $100,000 were up 110% year over year. Our strong Q4 and FY22 results underscore that our focus on growth and profitability is working and our strategy is aligned with the key trends that are driving the future of work. The dynamics around COVID forced a broad digital shift overnight and accelerated the necessity for the cloud to become the foundation of all work. In this new digital first era, employees need to be able to work from anywhere. Every business process to interact with a customer or partner is going fully digital. And companies need to ensure their most important information is kept safe and secure. At the center of all of this work is our most important content. Content is how a movie studio creates and distributes blockbuster hits to consumers, how life sciences companies discover and produce new vaccines, how consumer product companies design and invent their next breakthrough product, and how banks securely onboard and collaborate with clients. In short, content is our customer's business. Yet, most enterprises are dealing with fragmented, unsecure, complex, and overly costly systems to manage this content. And these systems are only growing over time as new use cases emerge around e-signature, workflow automation, collaboration, content publishing, business insights, and more. Box's Content Cloud delivers a platform-oriented approach that powers the full life cycle of an enterprise's most important content, including creation, classification, collaboration, 
workflow automation, e-signatures, publishing, analytics, retention, and more, all in a single platform. And we differentiate our offering by focusing on three key product pillars that are delivered through our highly scalable enterprise-grade cloud infrastructure, delivering the best security and compliance around content, enabling seamless collaboration and workflow, and integrating into every app our customers leverage, including the ones they build themselves. As I stated earlier, in FY22, we advanced major parts of the entire content lifecycle, most notably with the global launch of BoxSign in the fall. Since this launch, we have announced new and enhanced capabilities, integrations, and developer tools around BoxSign. These new capabilities include workflow features that automate processes once a document has been executed, and APIs that power e-signatures in third-party and custom applications. With these new capabilities, BoxSign can now power even more advanced signature-based processes, helping customers move more of their transactions to the cloud. We are pleased with our customer adoption and use of BoxSign, and fourth quarter customers include a leading provider of insurance services throughout the Americas that expanded their use of BoxSign with a six-figure BoxSign API deal in Q4, adding unlimited access to BoxSign for their processes. A U.S.-based financial services company expanded their use of Box with a new three-year enterprise license agreement and moved to Enterprise Plus enabling BoxSign access company-wide, and they will be standardizing on BoxSign as their e-signature solution, which will help cut costs, and since they're already using Box, it will allow for easier change management. And finally, a global marketing agency who has been a Box customer since 2013 moved to Enterprise Plus in Q4 with plans to use BoxSign in their HR department for employee onboarding, contract renewals, and to manage employee policies and contracts in a hybrid work environment. We are just getting started with BoxSign, and we can't wait to share more about our product roadmap at our upcoming Financial Analyst Day. In the past year, we also made several enhancements to our Box security capabilities as data security, compliance, and privacy remain more important than ever. We've added new features within Box Shield to help protect the flow of content with advanced machine learning-based security features and new malware deep scanning capabilities to combat ransomware, as well as enhanced alerts and auto-classification updates. We also made meaningful updates to our governance functionality to help support customers' legal holds and document retention needs. With security, compliance, data governance, and privacy capabilities remaining one of the most critical reasons customers choose the Box Content Cloud, we will continue to make prudent investments to extend our leadership position and re-accelerate growth in this area. A critical part of our product strategy is to leverage our interoperability to build on strong partnerships with leading technology companies across the SaaS landscape. In FY22, these enhanced partnerships included ServiceNow, Cisco WebEx, IBM, Zoom, Microsoft, and many others. More recently, we announced an enhanced box for Slack integration that enables customers to use Box as their native content cloud in their Slack environment. And in January, we announced the general availability of an enhanced Box for Microsoft Teams integration that enables customers to select Box as the default cloud content management solution in the Teams environment. Included in the release are new features that further improve the Box experience in Microsoft Teams, 
further reducing content fragmentation and making it easier than ever for customers to collaborate across the Box Content Cloud and their Microsoft environments. As we look forward into FY23 and beyond, we will continue to double down on the product capabilities and investments that add more value to our customers and expand Box's total addressable market. In FY23, we're going to advance our content cloud by building capabilities to power the full lifecycle of content, focusing on our three core differentiators of frictionless security and compliance, seamless collaboration and workflow, and an open platform that's integrated into every application. Now, turning to go-to-market, our strong FY22 results were driven by our scaled land and expand go-to-market motion. Our focus is entirely on ensuring we bring the full power of the Box platform to all of our customers, as we know this drives more value for our customers, and this results in greater stickiness, higher average contract values, and increased net retention rate. To drive these efforts, over the past couple of years, we've worked to optimize our customer renewal and expansion motion, target high-value and repeatable use cases that differentiate Box, expand our ecosystem of system integrators and partners to bring Box to market for larger enterprises, and double down in key regions and segments, as well as leveraging our digital channel for growth. And to ensure we're bringing the most relevant offering to market for our customers, we've expanded our focus on key industries, such as life sciences, financial services, federal government, and more. Finally, our pricing and packaging strategy is all about ensuring our customers can take advantage of the full power of the Box platform in their enterprise. Our latest multi-product offering, called Enterprise Plus, has driven more new and existing customers to access Box's full suite of capabilities. You can see the success of our go-to-market efforts clearly reflected in Q4 customer expansions. For instance, a major biotech company that has been a Box customer since 2015 expanded its use of Box with a six-figure Enterprise Plus upgrade. This deal represents a shift at the customer to use Box for regulated content and higher value use cases as we become a more strategic partner for them. The increased value and simplicity of Enterprise Plus was critical to Box being prioritized with the decision makers and various teams at the company. A department of the U.S. federal government expanded its use of Box with a seven-figure Enterprise Plus deal, enabling them to provision Box to all service members requiring up-to-date training and the ability to manage mission-critical content from anywhere. And a global financial services group moved to Enterprise Plus in a six-figure expansion. Box will be central to their banking ecosystem and will be used alongside Salesforce as the primary content management platform. They also plan to use Box for merger and acquisitions, external collaboration, and client onboarding. Overall, we're very happy with our go-to-market execution in FY22, and we will continue to invest and optimize our go-to-market efforts to bring the full power of the content cloud to our customers in FY23. In summary, the future of work is here, and at Box, we are helping to find it. Our strong results in FY22 are a testament to our execution in delivering to customers the platform they need to meet the demands of this new age. I couldn't be more confident in our ability to achieve our FY23 goals and further our mission of powering how the world works together. With that, I'll turn it over to Dylan. Thanks, Aaron.
Good afternoon, everyone, and thank you for joining us. In fiscal 2022, we had three key financial objectives, to deliver accelerating revenue growth, to expand margins through our focus on operational excellence, and to prudently allocate capital in order to return value to our shareholders. We are proud to have delivered against all three of these objectives. For the full year of FY22, we delivered annual revenue growth of 13%, which includes a roughly 60 basis point tailwind from foreign exchange rates. In constant currency, our strong results came in well above our initial guidance of 9 to 10% growth and represent an acceleration from the prior year's growth rate of 11%. We also delivered revenue growth plus free cash flow margin of 33%, exceeding our initial 30% target and achieving a significant improvement from the 26% we recorded in the prior year. Turning to Q4, we are pleased to have delivered exceptionally strong results, marked once again by accelerating revenue growth, continued improvements in our net retention rate, and record operating margin. Q4 revenue of $233 million was up 17% year-over-year, a fourth consecutive quarter of accelerating growth, and above the high end of our guidance. Our revenue outperformance was driven by sweets momentum and by very strong deal pacing within the quarter. We ended Q4 with remaining performance obligations, or RPO, of $1.07 billion, a 19% year-over-year increase, and once again growing faster than revenue. Over the past year, average customer contract durations have continued to lengthen, driven by a higher volume of long-term strategic deals, which contributed to the strength we saw in our backlog growth. We expect to recognize more than 60% of our RPO over the next 12 months. Fourth quarter billings of $338 million represented 9% year-over-year growth and was at the high end of our Q4 expectations of high single-digit growth. For the full year of fiscal 2022, we delivered billings growth of 16%, above our revenue growth rate and a full 7 percentage point improvement from the prior year. As Aaron mentioned, in Q4, we closed 128 100K-plus deals versus 121 a year ago and $9 million-plus deals versus four a year ago. Due to our strong customer expansion momentum throughout the year, we now have 1,420 customers paying more than $100,000 annually, up 17% year-over-year, and 119 customers paying more than a $1 million annually, up 20% year-over-year. In Q4, our 100K-plus suites deals increased 51% from the prior year. This suites momentum has been a key catalyst in accelerating customer adoption and enabling stickier use cases, in turn driving improvements in our customer expansion and retention rates. As our customers are increasingly adopting products with more advanced capabilities, 35% of our revenue is now attributable to customers who have purchased suites, a significant increase from 24% a year ago. Our net retention rate at the end of Q4 was 111%, up from 109% in Q3, 
and a 900 basis point improvement from 102% in the year-ago period. We've continued to improve our net expansion rate, and in Q4, our annualized full churn rate improved from 5% to 4%. We expect our net retention rate to remain roughly consistent throughout FY23. Gross margin expanded by 190 basis points year-over-year to 75.1%. Q4 gross profit of $175 million was up 20% year-over-year, exceeding our revenue growth rate by 300 basis points. In Q4, we continued to optimize our data center footprint and public cloud infrastructure. We expect gross margin to continue to improve going forward, and to land in the 76% range in FY23. Q4 operating income increased 33% year-over-year to $48 million. Q4 operating margin came in at a record 20.8%, representing a 250 basis point improvement from 18.3% a year ago. Sales and marketing expenses in the quarter were $65 million, representing 28% of revenue, down 100 basis points from 29% in the prior year. In FY22, we benefited from our enhanced product portfolio as we generated double-digit percentage improvements in Salesforce productivity, which is an important driver of sales and marketing leverage. In FY23, we intend to grow our quota-carrying Salesforce in the low-to-mid-teens percentage range slightly ahead of FY22's growth rate, with a continued focus on our higher-performing geographies and segments. Research and development expenses were $41 million, or 17% of revenue, in line with the prior year. In FY22, we exceeded our goal of scaling our engineering center of excellence in Poland, ending the year with more than 100 full-time employees in that location. In FY23, we expect the vast majority of our R&D hiring to be in Poland, enabling Box to deliver increased product innovation and to generate additional leverage from our R&D investments. Our general and administrative costs were $20 million, or 9% of revenue, in line with a year ago. We will continue to drive operating discipline and expect further leverage in G&A as we evolve our workforce location in the coming year. We delivered 24 cents of diluted non-GAAP EPS in Q4, above the high end of our guidance, and up from 22 cents a year ago. I'll now turn to our cash flow and balance sheet. In Q4, we delivered cash flow from operations of 49 million, down from 58 million in the year-ago period. We also generated Q4 free cash flow of 33 million, down from $41 million in the prior year. Q4 cash flow was impacted both by seasonality and by our decision to strategically invest in our public cloud infrastructure and prepay $14 million to our partners. We expect to prepay a similar amount in Q1 of FY23 and for our infrastructure outflows to normalize thereafter. Even accounting for this investment, for the full year, our fiscal 2022 cash from operations and free cash flow were up 19% and 41% respectively. Capital lease payments, which we include in our free cash flow calculation, were $12 million, 
down from 14 million last year. Our capital lease payments continue to steadily decrease as we execute against our plans to move additional workloads to the cloud as part of our hybrid infrastructure strategy. We expect CapEx and capital lease payments combined to be roughly 5% of revenue in Q1 and roughly 5% of revenue for the full year of FY23. Let's now turn to our capital allocation strategy. In FY22, we generated free cash flow of $170 million, and we ended FY22 with $587 million in cash and investments. We expect to use this cash, plus our increasing free cash flow, to fund strategic M&A to accelerate our roadmap, while also generating shareholder returns via additional stock repurchases. Last quarter, we announced a new $200 million common stock repurchase plan. Including the plan we authorized earlier in the year, in Q4, we repurchased 5.5 million shares for approximately 140 million. For the full year of FY22, we repurchased 22.6 million shares for approximately 567 million, more than offsetting the shares that we issued in our preferred equity financing in Q2. As of January 31st, we had approximately 131 million of remaining buyback capacity under our authorized repurchase plans. Before we turn to our guidance, I'd like to share some further context behind our expectations for fiscal 2023. Due to exchange rate movements over the past year, primarily in yen and euros, we expect FX rates to have the following impacts on a reported FY23 results versus what they would be on a constant currency basis. On the top line, we anticipate a downward impact on our FY23 revenue and billings growth rates of a little more than one percentage point. On the bottom line, we anticipate a downward impact of roughly 1% to operating margin and roughly $0.06 cents to EPS. We also expect to incur incremental facilities, T&E, and events expenses as pandemic restrictions loosen and as we return to a hybrid office-based environment. Even with these impacts, we remain steadfast in our focus on driving profitable growth, and in FY23, we will deliver improved profitability and unlock further leverage in our operating model. With that, I would like to turn to our guidance for Q1 and fiscal 2023. For the first quarter of fiscal 2023, we anticipate revenue of 233 to 235 million, representing 16% year-over-year growth at the high end of this range. We expect our non-GAAP operating margin to be approximately 21%, representing a 400 basis point improvement year-over-year. We expect our non-GAAP EPS to be in the range of 24 to 25 cents, and GAAP EPS to be in the range of negative four to negative five cents on approximately 152 million diluted shares and 146 million basic shares, respectively. For the full fiscal year ending January 31st, 2023, we expect FY23 revenue to be in the range of 990 to 996 million, up 14% year over year at the high end of this range. This represents a further acceleration from last year's revenue growth of 13%, even after accounting for the anticipated FX headwinds. 
we expect our non-GAAP operating margin to be approximately 22%, representing an improvement of more than 200 basis points year over year. We expect to deliver a steady improvement in operating margin throughout the course of FY23. We anticipate our FY23 non-GAAP EPS to be in the range of $1.10 to $1.14 on approximately 154 million diluted shares and up from 85 cents in the prior year. Our GAAP EPS is expected to be in the range of negative three to negative seven cents on approximately 148 million basic shares. For the full year of FY23, we expect billings growth to be roughly in line with revenue growth. We do expect variability in our billings growth rate on a quarterly basis based on the dynamics of prior year comparisons and the timing of large customer renewals. Directionally, we expect our billings growth rate to be in the high single-digit range and our FY23 RPO growth to exceed our anticipated full-year revenue and billings growth rates. Finally, we expect our FY23 revenue growth rate combined with our FY23 free cash flow margin to be at least outcome of 33%. We remain confident in achieving our FY24 target of revenue growth plus free cash flow margin of at least 40%. In summary, FY22 was a year of excellent operational execution highlighted by accelerating revenue growth and operating margin expansion of more than 400 basis points year over year. Our content cloud strategy is resonating with customers, demonstrated by strong suites momentum and a significant 900 basis point improvement in our net retention rate. We are well positioned to deliver profitable growth in the years ahead as we build on our content cloud leadership position. Before we conclude, I'll hand it back to Aaron for a few closing remarks. Thanks, Dylan, and thank you again, everyone, for joining us today. I'd like to remind everyone that our virtual Financial Analyst Day will be on Wednesday, March 16th. At this event, you will be hearing from our executives as we do a deep dive into our product strategy, go-to-market efforts, workforce strategy, and long-term financial model. The continued execution of our Content Cloud Platform strategy will drive further annual revenue acceleration and continued margin expansion in FY23. We are confident in our ability to achieve these results based on the customer momentum we've been seeing. Before we open it up to Q&A, I would also like to address the situation in Ukraine. As with all technology companies with business in Europe, we are monitoring the situation very carefully. Our top priority continues to be for Boxer safety and well-being, and our thoughts go out to every uh, Boxer customer partner and anyone directly affected by this. And I am proud that Box.org and Boxers globally are already giving to relief efforts for those affected. Thanks again for joining us for this call today, and Dylan and I would now be happy to take any of your questions. Operator? Thank you, and as a reminder to ask your question, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone keypad. Again, just press star and then the number 1 on your telephone keypad. And to withdraw your question, just press the pound key. Please stand by while we compile the Q&A roster. Your first question comes from the line of Jason Adder with William Blair. Please proceed with your question. Yeah, thank you. Hey, guys. Um, I guess a, a couple of ones for me. First, just on uh, the NRR, 
which, you know, continues to show nice improvement. Uh, you talked about it being consistent throughout this year. I guess my question is um, if you're, you're going to continue to see good traction with suites and, um, and Enterprise Plus, uh, what, what are some of the, I don't know, what are some of the pressure points that could prevent it from going higher from here? Sure, I'll take that. Uh, Jason, this is Dylan. Um, so the net retention rate that we've seen uh, improvements recently over the last year uh, is comprised of 15% expansion, and uh, we also improved the churn side of the equation to 4%, uh, which is where we get to ending the year at 111%. You're spot on that a huge driver of uh, our net retention rate is going to be uh, continued momentum uh, in sweet sales uh, and would note there that um, we expect those trends continue. Uh, we just also expect to see uh, more normalized and, and more challenging comparisons uh, as we have been driving that uh, momentum over the last year. Um, so definitely remain confident in uh, seeing really strong uh, sweets momentum uh, that should show up in our overall net retention rate. Gotcha. I guess I guess what I'm getting at is, are you tr are you trying to be conservative there? Is there a chance that it could be better if the um, expansion rates uh, rise, just given the um, you know the, the attach rates on suites? Yeah. So definitely, um, as always, with the expectations we set, we do want to be prudent with those. Uh, so we do see some upside given the momentum uh, that we've been driving in suites. Uh, and then would also note that, like uh, some of the other top line metrics that we called out. Uh, FX will have a little bit of an impact, a uh, downward impact uh, to our net retention rate as well, um, but feel really good about the targets that we've laid out there. Awesome. All right, thanks. And then, uh, Aaron, on the quarter, on, on Q4, um, you know, you had 111% NRR, but you had the, the really high uh, revenue growth rate. That speaks to success with new customers, I guess. What What are you doing differently with new customers that's allowing you guys to have the success there? And then how do you think about uh, kind of land versus expand in uh, in 23 and beyond? Is it, you know, do you, do you lean into one more than the other, or is it just kind of a balanced approach? Yeah, I think it, it'll uh, it'll continue to be a balanced approach um, uh, as as, uh, as time goes on. And we do at, at our analyst day, um, we'll talk about the kind of um, mechanics of the land and expand motion uh, and how we've been optimizing it, especially with our Enterprise Plus plan, which is included in our suites. Um, so Q4, you know, as you can tell from the metrics, uh, both a very strong quarter in terms of upselling, uh, but also a strong quarter in some of the new win wins that we had. Um, you know, one example, we just did a press release uh, yesterday, um, around our win with the Japan Post, uh, obviously major leading government agency uh, in Japan um, uh, that, uh, that that powers their, their postal service. So great new logos coming on the platform across government, financial services, um, uh, and, uh, and and large industrial companies, as well as just a fantastic quarter for expansion into E plus um, and uh, our newer capabilities. So we'll, we'll give again that that perspective of, of how that land and expand model is working at the analyst day, but. Overall, just con you know, we're going to continue to focus on that balance of um, of growing existing customers and bringing on new logos as we scale. Yeah, and just to build on that, uh, this is Dylan. Is as a reminder, we've uh, tended to see over the past year roughly 70 to 75 percent of our new bookings coming from existing customers, uh, and that's uh, roughly the range that we expect to see in the year ahead as well. And that's what it was in Q4, also. Uh, yeah, in that in that general range. 
Yeah, and again, for Q4, uh, the, the revenue uh, did get a little bit of strength also from the very strong deal pacing that we saw uh, in the quarter, um, and, but uh, generally in line with the type of contribution that we've been seeing from uh, net new uh, versus existing customers. Thank you. Good luck, guys. Thanks. Your next question comes from the line of Itai Kidron with Oppenheimer. Please proceed with your question. Hi, it's actually George Iwanek. Um So uh, maybe digging into a, a little bit on Jason's questions with the NRR, uh, maybe with the larger customers, can you give us a sense of how you feel about your user penetration? And then on the expansion side, are you already seeing uh, box sign adoption and you know, what kind of leverage are you getting from Shield as well? Yeah, thanks. Um, so we, we continue to see very healthy upside in terms of the total potential seat count uh, that we can increase within even our large enterprise customers. I mean, we certainly, uh, you know, do uh, do enterprise license agreements, and in Q4 we had a number of those where a customer elected to buy box for their entire organization. But on the scale of the, you know, thousands of customers that we transacted with in Q4, um, it's still a, a, a very, very, very low percentage of that. So a lot of potential for seat expansion. And, um, and now with, e with our Enterprise Plus plan uh, and our API volume uh, licensing, we really have three vectors of, of, uh, of growth, even from the existing install base. So we can continue to expand seats as more use cases get, um, uh, get leveraged for Box. We can move customers up to increase price per seat plans like our Enterprise Plus edition. And we can drive uh, the volume of APIs using new use cases on our platform, which uh, get independently monetized. And BoxSign was a great example of that in Q4, where we had a six-figure deal just for BoxSign APIs in the quarter. So overall, multiple levers of growth from even the install base and even our largest customers. And then to your point on BoxSign, while, um, <coughs> while Q4 was the first quarter where the product was fully out globally, uh, we are seeing really great signs of initial adoption and traction, uh, as well as deals that uh, that are now coming in as a result of BoxSign being a part of our, of our portfolio, uh, as I mentioned, that, that six-figure six transaction. And uh, right now, the, the core focus is to drive as much adoption as possible uh, across the customer base with BoxSign. But the early, the early signs of the product rollout are fantastic, and our roadmap of features coming this year um, is, uh, is, is going to be you know, nearly an order of magnitude more than uh, what's in the product today. So we're very, very excited about, uh, about what's to come. All right, and Aaron, just one more question. Uh, you, know, you mentioned pricing. Can you give us a sense of uh, you know, what the pricing environment is right now and what the sales productivity uh, gains you're seeing? You know, how much discounting are you doing, or are you able to, to largely hold uh, pretty strong? Yeah, I think our competitiveness uh, relative to, to the pricing uh, metric remains very strong. Um, we, uh, I think we had a great quarter of, of, uh, of both holding price and increasing in, uh, as, as customers, you know, move to our higher tier additions. And, uh, and I think what you'll find is as we expand out our, our content cloud portfolio, so um, BoxSign, you know, from last year, BoxShield from a couple years prior in Relay, um, and, uh, and Box Shuttle last year, and then now coming into this year, some, some pretty exciting uh, product areas that we're going to be investing in that we'll share more at Financial Analyst Day. Um, what you're seeing is that we can consolidate now multiple categories of IT spend in a single offering. That gives us significant pricing leverage over time because now for the, the, the price of box, um, you know, with, uh, with, with some uplift as you move to E+, um, you now might have access to two or three other technology categories worth of, 
a software all-in-one bundled approach. And so that's, I think, going to give us continued pricing leverage uh, as, uh, as we go out to the market at the exact same time of delivering more value to our customers. So it's, a, um, it's kind, of, you know, kind of the perfect win-win where we're going to actually cause the customer to spend less money um, on IT overall within the content categories that, that, uh, that they have use cases in, but also we're going to be able to drive more value from our, our pricing. And, uh, and that ultimately leads to, you know, a bunch of downstream results, um, improved gross margin, uh, you mentioned sales productivity that, that's continued to improve as a result of our suites and, um, and then ultimately stickier and more retained customers. Thank you. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Steve Anders with KeyBank Capital Markets. Please proceed with your question. Okay, great. Thanks for uh, taking the questions here. Um, I guess maybe to start, uh, I think you called out that for the for the guide, you're expecting RPO growth to, to come in ahead of both revenue and billing. Uh, so I guess what are you kind of seeing out in the, um, the demand environment that is uh, giving you the confidence to, to, to say that? Uh, and I guess as part of that, how should we think about the, the contract duration as a, as a part of that, uh, that factor? Sure. So uh, definitely seeing a very healthy demand environment that impacts a lot of the, the top-line metrics uh, that we provide and that we uh, give guidance around. Uh, and RPO, as it tends to be more of a leading indicator of growth, is more representative of kind of the, the near-term momentum uh, that we're seeing that ultimately then flows uh, into revenue. Um, and uh, in terms of the duration, that has been one of the drivers of the outsized backlog growth in particular, um, and so we have continued to see uh, contract durations uh, lengthen incrementally over the past year. Um, but if you look at all the different components of, uh, of RPO, uh, those are up at, at pretty healthy levels, including on the deferred revenue side, uh, which is independent of those uh, contract durations. Uh, so feel really good about the demand environment uh, and the underlying momentum that we're seeing in the business. I guess just to um, put a little finer point on that, are we assuming that duration on, on deals is going to stay pretty consistent in 23? Is that kind of what's being assumed here in the, uh, in the guide there? Yeah, we, we do expect uh, – we may see slight lengthening, but would expect those to be fairly stable, uh, the durations, that is, uh, in terms of where they are today. Okay, perfect. And then on the, um, on the gross margin guide, you know, coming in a, a, about a point above where we are in 4Q, at least for the full year, um, I guess what are you where are the efficiencies kind of coming from uh in there to to drive the the improvement there uh and I guess where are kind of the areas of investment you think about the out margin guide uh, uh for for twenty three uh sure, so on the gross margin front where we've been seeing um you know a lot of the leverage that and what we're expecting going forward uh comes down to the combination of uh more efficiently managing uh the infrastructure. Um, uh, that, that we host, uh, and uh, so doing a lot from a hardware and software uh, efficiency uh, point of view, uh, really just simplifying the way that we deliver those services, and that shows up also if you look at uh, the amount of capital leases uh, and the payments that we're making, those have trended down uh, pretty significantly and steadily as we've been able to optimize uh, that infrastructure, and at the same time continue to move more workloads uh, where it makes sense uh, uh, with our public cloud partners, uh, which also uh, allows us to drive some incremental gross margin expansion. Uh, so that's from an infrastructure point of view. And then going back to the pricing and everything that Aaron was talking about earlier, uh, as we do see customers, um, you know, uh, kind of seeing more value out of box and solutions uh, and paying more for those, uh, you know, increasingly adopting suites, for example, that also translates uh, into not just higher pricing, but higher gross margin uh, for those customers as well. 
Okay. Uh, and then I'll be. Okay. Okay. Oh, I was just going to touch briefly on the on the operating margin side, and, and you talked about uh, the investments that we expect to make next year. Um, would say nothing too different from the approach we've taken uh, over this past year uh, that has been working really well. Um, and so, as mentioned, we do expect to grow sales force capacity in the low to mid-teens percentage range. Also going to continue uh, to invest in the really exciting uh, product roadmap that we have, um, but uh, doing most of that in lower-cost locations. Uh, so if we're really good about the leverage uh, that we're going to be uh, driving across the business uh, as we move through the coming year. Okay, perfect. Thanks. Thanks again. Your next question comes from the line of Brian Peterson with Raymond James. Please proceed with your question. Hey, guys. This is Chase Donovan for Brian. Thanks for taking the question. Uh, Box signs seems like there's really encouraging early results coming out of that. I was curious, uh, what else can we look for uh, from a product perspective that could fit in as an adjacent kind of M&A driver for the business? Yeah, so, um, uh, so, so Boxine overall, uh, we're very, very, uh, you know, happy about the early results and traction that we're seeing. Um, great use cases across a very wide range of industries and, uh, and we're going to continue to, to follow up with more and more updates, uh, to, uh, to the street around how that product is performing and being adopted. Um, as it relates to new product expansion areas, and I would say kind of both with and without M&A as an example, um, you know, we think about, uh, uh, very disciplined, uh, technology tuck in acquisitions uh, where it makes sense to accelerate our product roadmap, um, but at the same time, the vast majority of our innovation is, is going to come organically. Um, but you, you're going to see us uh, continue to expand out the content cloud um, as uh, as this year uh, you know goes on, and, and certainly the next couple of years. If you think about that content life cycle that, that we continue to show from the moment content is ingested into Box all the way to where it's retained and then integrated in any platform. There are various components around that life cycle uh, where we're either going to be doubling down into additional, um, you know, deep spaces um, uh, in security and compliance um, and in areas where we think we can expand into new adjacent collaboration uh, and content markets um, that, uh, that all make sense on our platform. So stay tuned. Uh, throughout the year, we'll be sharing more updates on this front as well as a little bit of a preview at our financial analyst day. Um, but it's really all about making sure that customers can complete that complete content lifecycle on a single platform without having to have fragmentation of their content. So how you create, how you share, how you collaborate, um, uh, and, uh, and, and publish and get insights from content all in a single architecture. So, uh, so more to come on that front. Very helpful. Thanks, Seth. Yeah, thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Eric Safiger with JMP. Please proceed with your question. Yes, uh, congrats on a good quarter. Um, one, just on the on box sign, uh, curious if you're getting a sense of how um, how that's doing with new customers versus uh, existing customers. I think initially the lower hanging fruit was with existing customers, but um, any any update there? And then secondly, uh, just curious in terms of your transition to um, to public cloud uh, based infrastructure. How far along in that process are you, and, uh, and how long are you, are you still paying, um, you know, uh, double double for areas where you have overlapping uh, infrastructure? Yeah. So on the uh, on the box sign front, um, you know, core focus number one is get 
uh, box sign in the hands of all of our existing customers, uh, you know, of which we have well over 100,000 customers. So, so that's sort of, you know, the P0 for the, the company and, uh, and what we're spending the majority of our, of our energy on. At the same time, it becomes a great uh, new sort of wedge use case that, uh, that we can go into new customers with um, around talking about how they're driving digital transformation around their content, uh, whether that's contracts or NDAs or compliance documents that need to get signed. So it becomes yet another use case that we can go drive uh, product adoption and, uh, and new customer demand from. But I'd say it's very early uh, in terms of the, the overall results on that. But um, you can assume that every customer we're showing up to today, um, uh, BoxSign is, uh, is certainly being, um, you know, talked about and shown in the set of use cases that we're going after. So, um, so great kind of early, I think, signal from that, that set of conversations and pipeline build uh, over there. Um, and then the, the second question around public cloud. So this is a multi-year journey. Uh, that we've had. We, just as a reminder, we've been using and leveraging the public cloud for well over a decade, um, but we made the decision to leverage it even more significantly to allow us to innovate faster, deliver for customers globally more efficiently, um, and, uh, and then ultimately be able to scale our platform in a very cost-effective way. So we've been moving more and more of our infrastructure to the public cloud. Um, we tried our best to have as, as limited of a sort of double spend um, challenge as possible. It's, it's unavoidable in some areas of the infrastructure, but the teams have done an incredible job of really getting very, very methodical about which parts of the architecture move to the public cloud and in which sequence to reduce that double, um, that double spend element. But again, some of it's unavoidable due to leases and, um, and existing commitments we have on, uh, on the hardware. Uh, but, um, but again, over the next couple of years, you'll see us wind off more and more on the, the sort of um, kind of core uh, box managed infrastructure and more and leverage more and more in the public cloud. Very good. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Nick Mattiacci with Craig Hallam. Please proceed with your question. Hi, this is Nick Mattiacci on for Chad Bennett. Thanks for taking our questions. So I'm just curious on what you guys are seeing in the SMB market. Um, any commentary you could provide on the demand environment and customer retention rates, the lower end of the market, and then any assumptions we should be aware of related to SMB that are baked into guidance uh, going into this year? Yeah, so qualitatively, I would, I would just share that SMB demand uh, has been very strong, um, you know, frankly, throughout FY22. Uh, Q4 was another, you know, kind of milestone quarter for us on that front, but, uh, but really the buildup was throughout the year. I think what we saw in, in kind of um, calendar 2020 uh, and our fiscal 2021 was SMBs were, you know, really uh, obviously most impacted um, in many respects by COVID. Um, and, uh, and they weren't hiring as quickly, you know, dealing with layoffs or furloughs or government, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, stimulus was, was a complicated matter. And, uh, and so we saw a reduction of, uh, of that momentum. Um, we still, still put up growth that year, but, but not as much as we had anticipated. Coming into now, uh, calendar 2021 and fiscal 2022 last year, um, we saw a real resurgence on the SMB and mid-market, uh, parts of our business, so our, our kind of, you know, kind of global commercial segments. And I think our strategy is really well-tuned uh, for that commercial segment. Um, you know, back to back in what we've been chatting about on this call, um, if you're a, you know, 200 or 300 to 500-person business, um, and maybe smaller, you know, 50 to, to a few hundred uh, employees, um, you, you might have a relatively concentrated IT organization, maybe a, maybe a handful of folks that are, that are running IT for your, uh, for your organization, but you have all the exact same demands as a large enterprise. I mean, if you're, a, if you're an investment bank, if you're in life sciences, um, if you work in, in the government supply chain, the needs you have around data security, compliance, content management, 
collaboration are the exact same needs as a very large Fortune 500 enterprise. Um, and yet your challenge is, uh, is, is sort of fewer resources to manage all those systems um, and then obviously budget constraints about, you know, you don't want to have to have 10 different vendors uh, that you're dealing with. You don't really get economies of scale in that sense. So by having a single platform, uh, a single content cloud that manages uh, everything from the workflow and e-signature and security and content management of, uh, of, of your content all in one bundle, uh, that becomes very, very compelling. And so we've seen the results of that. Uh, uh, in, in, our, uh, in our results throughout FY22, uh, and we expect that uh, that set of trends just to continue. Yep, and uh, just to build on that a bit, uh, for some of the other parts of your question, uh, we had mentioned in our prepared remarks that uh, this past year we generated uh, double-digit percentage gains in our Salesforce productivity. Uh, that holds true both for our enterprise business and our SMB business, so definitely seeing healthy growth uh, across all parts. And then in terms of the customer economics that you uh, asked about, uh, while our smallest customers do tend to see uh, slightly higher uh, churn rates, as you'd expect, uh, the net retention rates are actually pretty comparable between uh, SMB and enterprise uh, because of the, the strong expansion and a lot of the dynamics that, uh, that Aaron mentioned. Great. Thank you. Thank you. The next question comes from the line of Josh Baer with Morgan Stanley. Please proceed with your question. Great. Uh, good end to the, to the year and a strong guide. I uh, wanted to double-click on a couple of the margin uh, questions and conversations we've been having. Um, so on gross margins, like we've seen the expansion and that continues into 23 and sort of talk through the pricing and the, the uh, infrastructure efficiencies. So the question is how, how high can gross margins go and can they get to 80% plus like they were um, for you guys you know, back around your IPO? Uh, yeah, so so we do see uh, continued upside, uh, especially as we execute uh, against the the migration strategy uh, that uh, that Aaron talked about earlier. Um, so we do see uh, you know seventy six percent is is not uh, where that caps out, uh, and we'll continue to work on uh, driving that mig migration and additional efficiencies uh, to uh, continue expanding uh, margins beyond FY twenty three. Okay, and then on the. Um, the FY23 operating margin target of 22, like on the surface, it doesn't actually show the, the OPEX leverage because of the, the strong gross margin expansion, but then you talked about the FX impact, travel and expenses coming back. I assume there's some wage inflation increases. Um, you talked about sales and marketing investments. So is there any additional context or quantification of some of those factors um, that are impacting some of the different OPEX lines? Uh, and, you know, just any other color would be helpful. Thanks. Sure. Um, so on that, I think you, you uh, nailed the dynamics exactly. And uh, to break those apart, on the FX side of things, uh, expect that to be a roughly uh, one percentage point impact uh, to operating margin next year, um, and that really shows up, you know, across all line items of the P&L, um, so kind of understates the true leverage that we're driving in the business. And then in terms of some of those expenses like T&E events, uh, facilities, uh, would say that uh, the savings that we realized as, as uh, we moved into this uh, environment was in the 200 to 300 basis point range. Uh, we expect um, some of that to come at back, 
but not all of it because of the uh, continued focus that we have on cost discipline. So you can think about it as, you know, more than 100 basis point impact, uh, and then the actual, um, you know, kind of size is going to depend a little bit on uh, what this uh, return to our hybrid office-based approach looks like. Uh, and then the last thing I'd note is that uh, within the year, uh, we do expect to see our operating margin uh, consistently expand uh, across the course of the year, uh, so to sort of deliver higher uh, operating margin in the back half uh, versus the front half. Yeah, and just to, just to build on that, Josh, for five seconds, um, uh, we are unmistakably focused on making sure we drive profitable growth uh, going forward, which will show up as additional leverage in the business. Um, and uh, Dylan noted that kind of seasonality trend you'll see as well. Um, but uh, but it's something that's a core focus of ours going forward. Awesome. Thanks. Thank you. And this concludes our question and answer session. I'm turning the call back to our speakers for any closing remarks. We still have great. Thank you. And thank you, everyone, for joining us this afternoon. We look forward to updating you on our next earnings call. And just a quick reminder, as both Aaron and Dylan have mentioned, we are hosting our Fiscal 23 Financial Analyst Day is virtual on March 16th, and registration is available on our IR website. Thank you so much. Thank you. This concludes today's conference call. Thank you all for participating. You may now disconnect.